Thank you. Should we just pray? Father God, we just ask that you'd speak to us now as we look at your word together. That Lord, as we look at Hebrews, Father, a complicated book in so many ways, but Lord, one with a, a fairly clear message in others. That Lord, you would just open our hearts and we might just come to know you better uh, and be more challenged, Lord, and, and more determined to love you with our whole heart. Father God, forgive us for those times when we shrink back, when we compromise our faith in face of prosperity or opposition, Father God, or even just half-heartedness, that we would be a dynamic people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been a parent for nearly 15 years, which is quite a frightening thought. I feel particularly sorry for my children. Uh, They had no choice uh, in the matter. They just sort of turned up and here I was. And uh, one of the great things about being a parent is that you get to do the occasional diatribe. And uh, if you're a parent, you already know what I'm about to say, because one of the great things about having children is that they're often wrong about things, and they don't often realise just how wrong they are until you go on a a rant about why they're wrong. And that rant can last anywhere between 5 to 15 minutes, depending on how many things you want to slot in, things like in my day, and you don't know how lucky you've got it. Well, I went on a rant like that myself... I'm sorry, I apologise. That's never happened to any of you, I'm sure. It's just me. Um, anyway, uh, a, few, a few days ago, no, well, it was a while back actually, we were playing on the Xbox. That's right. We play on the Xbox in my house, and I'm proud of it. Because I enjoy playing Fortnite, even though I'm rubbish at it. Anyway, so we were playing something on the Xbox together, and, uh, and there was a moment where the Xbox took about five seconds to load something. And there were much tutting and huffing from my two, because how dare it take longer than one second? And so I went on to a very mature diatribe about what life was like in my day. And the struggle of being an 80s slash 90s child. Well, 80s child. No, fair enough. When when you're an adult? Okay, an 80s child. Because in the 80s, the struggle was real, wasn't it? Laz has got a few photos. I had a Commodore 64 was my first computer. Some of you may recognize a Commodore 64. Actually, that wasn't my first computer. My first computer was this one which is awesome. And then my second computer was a VIC-20, if you've ever had one of those. Fantastic. A skiing game was the best, and it had two movements. That way, that way. And then I finally upgraded to a Commodore 64. What you don't realise if you've never been into gaming is that you, games came in a cassette. I tried to explain to Jack particularly. You put the cassette in, and then you go and paint a fence. So we go for a walk, you go out for the day. Half an hour later, eventually the game may or may not have loaded. And that's just the rubbish games. And I said, you've got no idea. And then I moved on because the struggle was real in the 80s, wasn't it? I said to him, when I was your age, I only had a black and white television. Some of uh, them had no idea. So I spent most of my child guessing what colour things were on the telly. Is that red or orange? I don't know. So, and actually, that reminds me of on the subject. Um, this is similar to how it was with the children. I even had to tune in like this with a little dial. <sighs> trying to find the exact picture. Now we've got ultra 4K high surround sound definition nonsense, and everything is wonderful. In fact, I told them when I was younger, if you wanted to watch a film that you hadn't already purchased and have in your your VHS collection or Betamax, that's right, uh, you would have to get your shoes on and walk round the block to Blockbuster Video. And there you would lose three or four hours of your life while you did one of two things. One, you tried to find a film you actually wanted without any trailers, guessing from the front that it looked all right. And two, you actually found it in stock. And then I carried on. What about phones? We didn't have a phone when I grew up, back in the olden times. If you wanted to make a phone call, you had to take your cash or your card, and you'd go around to the BT phone box, 
And you would hope there wasn't someone in there having some sort of crisis for half an hour before you while you're thinking, come on. And then you hope you've got enough money on your card to make a phone call. Then you've got to hope the phone's actually attached to the wire. The struggle was real in the 80s. And then finally, cameras. You go on holiday and you have one cheap camera and one roll of 24 photos. And you spend most of your holiday thinking, now just like that, don't put your hand down a bit, smile, try and smile, no them your teeth, and then you take that one photo, and then you spend the next three weeks wondering, will it or will it not be any good? And then you get them and they're all black, because you've opened it at the wrong time. <sighs> I had a very traumatic childhood. Young people today don't realise how fortunate they are. And the reason I tell you all of that is actually, sometimes we're a bit down on improvements. Sometimes things improve for the worse, of course, but actually often... Newer systems are better than older systems. And the book of Hebrews that we're going through is quite a, a sort of technical book. If you're not from a Jewish background, it may not make a lot of sense to you, but we're having a go on Sunday mornings. And the writer of Hebrews is really on a, a diatribe, a spiritual rant, if you like, at Jewish Christians who were once so close to Jesus and who are reverting back to an old, inferior system of worship. You see where I went with all of that. You see, access to God in the Old Testament that was revealed to Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai was fundamentally flawed. It was limited. It had to be. It was always going to be replaced by something better. You know, when they first bring out the new computers, they're already working on the next system. If you've got a a PS4, shame on you, you should have something else. But if you've got a PS4, they're already working on the next one and then the next one because as soon as they design it, there's something better in the work. So when God gave the, the, the rituals of the Old Testament through Moses, the Mosaic law, and the temple, and all those kind of things, it fundamentally was limited. It had a limited effect. It had a particular job, and it was always destined to be replaced by something better, someone better, which is faith in Christ. Last week, we saw that the writer of Hebrews is addressing those Jewish Christians who have come under opposition for their faith in Jesus and how they're beginning to compromise their faith. They're going back to their Jewish roots and they're drifting away from faith in Jesus Christ. They're going back to their old system uh, to avoid trouble. And the aim of this letter is to try and show them the, the transcendent glory of Christ and that he is superior to the old system of religion in the Old Testament. And the writer spends quite a lot of the time in this book pointing his readers back to that old system they used to follow and then showing them Jesus again and again and again and just saying, look, he's better. Look, he's more superior. The temple was good, but Jesus is better. He's making that point over and over again, making the point that they shouldn't give up on their faith for what they used to have. And actually, we said last week, didn't we, uh, that like this letter of this, the, the Hebrew writer, that we say again and again, don't we, that when we face temptation to give up on Jesus, when we face temptation to compromise our faith, soften it, make it a bolt on to our lives, we must fight that temptation. We must resist that temptation to be people with a lukewarm faith. We're meant to have a dynamic, world-changing faith because Jesus is the only saviour. There is no other way to be saved from our sin. There is no other way to be saved from your sin. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody else tells you. There's no other back door into heaven. There is only faith in Christ. The only way to escape the punishment for our sin is to let Jesus take it on the cross for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Only Jesus can give us eternal life, powerful hope, 
and everlasting peace. Only he is our all-sufficient saviour. Let me ask you a question this morning, and I'm asking it of myself as well, I guess. When you walked into this room, how many of you stopped at the door and thought, wow, how blessed am I to be here? That could go either way, couldn't it? (laughs) Same might think I'm here again. Um, But how many of you, when you walked in, actually took a moment to say, thank you, God, that I can worship with my brothers and sisters in this way, in this place, this morning? Because you know you ought to. Every single one of us, every single time you shut your eyes to pray, every single time you come in here to worship with your sisters and brothers, every single time we do anything like that, it involves worshipping our God, the first thing we should say is, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that this is even possible. Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 23, the writer says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who is promised, who has promised, is faithful. Every time we enter church, we should thank God. Why? Because before Christ, to do what we take for granted every single Sunday, or every single time you just shut your eyes in your chair, or wherever you pray, it was very limited and it was very complicated to be in the presence of God. And, and, and if you're not familiar with Judaism or the Old Testament, uh, what I'm about to say may be new for you. But I hope you follow where I'm going with this. Because in the Old Testament, it was very complicated to be doing what we do every Sunday morning. This is what the writer of Hebrews says of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He says, now the first covenant had regulations for worship. We don't have any regulations for worship. We have regulations for worship. And also an earthly sanctuary. They had a temple or a tabernacle uh, in Jerusalem. A tabernacle was set up. And in its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. But when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and only once a year, never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people who, that they had committed in ignorance. And he goes on to say a little bit more. This sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the way they got to know God was via a temple, via all sorts of rituals and religious actions. It's known as a sacrificial system. I've got a little picture of the temple here with some words that you could just sort of ignore, but you get an idea of what the temple looked like in Jerusalem. And if you're an Old Testament Jew and you wanted to be right with God, it was a very lengthy, complicated process. You had uh, the temple there, and the temple was arranged with lots of Inner, inner and then outer courts. And this is how it went. If you were a non-Jew, you could only go into the most outer court of the temple, known as the court of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. 
They could go into that bit, but they could go no further. In the middle of the temple was the Holy of Holies. That's where God was. That's where God's presence was. So if you were a non-Jew, you could only go that far. And then after that, they had the court of the women. And if you were a woman, you could go into that one, but no further. And then if you were a man, you could again go into the court of Israel, which is the one next one in towards where God was in the middle. And only regular men could go in there. And then they had the court of the priests right near the center. And you could only go in there if you're a priest from the Levitical tribe, so one particular tribe. And in that court of priests, that's where they would offer sacrifices and incense and all sorts of things on behalf of the people. They did all of that on behalf of God's people. And then you had this place called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Bible says God's presence actually rested in that room was the ark of the covenant and on top of the ark were the two angels either side and God's presence rested in between uh, those two angels on the ark of the covenant the holy of holies and only one man once a year after a very long complicated set of rituals was allowed to go into the most holy place where God was and only then could he offer a sacrifice on behalf of everybody for the sins they're committed deliberately and in ignorance. And yet this morning, every single one of us walked straight in and entered the Holy of Holies just by shutting your eyes or raising your hands and lifting your hearts through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he is better, the writer of Hebrews is saying, than everything that went before in the old testament the law and all of this ornate ritual in the old testament had a particular purpose it was to reveal who god was leviticus 19 2 it was about explaining sin and pointing to the need of a savior what the law did in the old testament was remind people that they were sinners that they were broken that they were in a bad relationship with god that they couldn't get to where god was because of their sin it reminded them that their sin had a penalty death Someone or something had to die. And in the Old Testament, it was an animal over and over and over again. And it pointed towards the need of a one all-sufficient sacrifice, all-sufficient saviour. And so to these Jews who are drifting back into Judaism, we shouldn't be totally surprised because as complicated as it might have been, it was their system of worship. It was given by God and it was precious And so when the going got tough, they went back to what they knew. They went back to what God had already given them. But what they hadn't realized they were doing was going back to God's first gift, when he had a greater gift, his son. And so the writer of Hebrews says something truly astonishing in verse 3 of chapter 3. He says to these Jewish Christians, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And if you were a Jew hearing that, you'd think, what? How can this Jesus be worth more honor and glory than Moses? Yet if you follow Christ, you know that he's God's son. He was always God's son, right from the womb, right before, and right into eternity. He's always been the son of God. And so he is greater than even the great Moses. So why go back to all of that when you follow Jesus Jesus himself would say that something greater than the temple 
is here. He'll say that later on in one of the Gospels. And in fact, the phrase greater or better is a phrase used in the book of Hebrews of Jesus about 25 times. 25 times Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Let me just read a few verses from Hebrews. And again, if you're not familiar with the book, I do apologize if you've never read it. But this is such a great book. This is such a great thing to think about. Because this is all they had before Jesus. This ritual, this system that was fundamentally never going to give them life. And then God sends his son to do for them by faith what their work in the temple could never do. And they're going back to that and he's saying, stay here, don't go there. So Jesus is a better priest. Um, In chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, the writer says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, for he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sin, as well as those sins of the people. Often uh, they were putting their trust in flawed human beings. The priest would go into that priestly court and offer those sacrifices, but because he himself was a sinner, he would have to offer them for himself over and over again. And then we read, that they're limited by life. Each priest would get old and die. There'd be another priest would do the same thing over and over again. And people put their trust in flawed human beings, don't they? All the time. We trust in humans rather than God. How many people hear a self-help guru and we say, he or she, I'm going to follow them. Why would we follow them? Or maybe someone comes up with a new philosophy and we think, oh, I'll follow them. But why would I want to follow them? Or maybe someone has an important place even within Christianity. Perhaps they even command the respect of billions of people. But why would I follow them? They're just people. They're just men or women. We have the son of the living God who we follow. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. I remember going to a church years ago in the Cotswolds. And uh, and it doesn't matter what denomination it is. And the guy there was talking away at the front all about Saint someone or other. I can't remember who it was. And he was talking about how, oh yes, well, when I pray, I ask Saint, I can't remember his name now, um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, and he speaks to Jesus for me, and then that's good. And uh, we, well, me and Andrew together, we went and challenged him afterwards, and we said, that's wrong. You're so wrong. How can you say that? You don't pray to dead people. You don't pray to saints. That's not how it works. And he said, oh, no, no, I asked Saint, whoever, and you know, have a word for me. And I thought, wow. And people say that to me sometimes, or you can talk to God for me. You think, no, Jesus is the great high priest. He is the everlasting high priest. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's better than any other high priest that has ever stood before, because he has eternal life. He intercedes with the Father every day. He speaks to God the Father about you and about me every minute of every day, appealing and talking on our behalf. And in chapter 7, verse 21 to 28, He says this of Jesus being the great high priest. He says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests, there have been many, sorry, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. 
He lives to intercede for us every single day. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike any other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sin and then the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Our hope in Jesus is that he lives and intercedes and talks on our behalf now. He prays to God the Father for us. And our hope as Christians isn't that Jesus lived, is that he lives Andrea was asked a few years ago by one of her friends, you know when you're in the car and suddenly someone turns to you and asks you a really deep question and you're thinking, oh, hang on. And one of those deep questions. So you've got um, you know, Muhammad and Buddha and the gurus and you've got Jesus. What's the difference? And I don't know how long Andrea paused, um, but in an inspired moment, um, like you have sometimes as a Christian, she said, they're all dead and Jesus is alive. Why go back to an obsolete religious practice, the writer of Hebrews says. Why go back to what you once had that didn't give you life? How many people in this room were once on fire for Christ, but you find yourself drifting back to the life that you escaped from, that you were never happy in in the first place? It never gave you life. It never satisfied your needs. And when you found Jesus, it did. He did. But you found yourself drifting back to the life you wanted so desperately to lead and leave before. Jesus is better is the uh, point of this book over and over and over. He is the perfect sacrifice. In chapter 10, verses 1 to 4, we read about this sacrifice having to be made year after year to make people perfect, but it never made them perfect because they had to do it over and over and over again. But Jesus is better. Verses 9 to 14 he says this, the writer says, here I am, Jesus says, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first, the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made of foot, his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It is the most amazing book, Hebrews. And uh, four weeks is ridiculous to try and deal with it. And so I hope you read it. I hope you read it and read it and read it because the message actually is simple. The book is complicated, but the message is simple. Don't go back to what didn't give you life. Stay with Christ because he is surpassed and abolished. The Old Testament and all of its ways are no longer relevant for God's people. No longer relevant. And it's no great coincidence that in AD 70, God allowed his temple, which was the center of Israelite life, to be destroyed by the Romans. And nearly 2,000 years later, it has never, ever been rebuilt. Because the way to God isn't through sacrifice and offerings and ritual into one room in one place, but it's through faith in Christ Jesus. 
How can we not say, wow, every time we shut our eyes, every time we worship? The reason the kingdom of heaven should have joy at its heart, as Sam said from all nations, is that. It doesn't matter how you feel, but when you shut your eyes and you come into God's presence, you should just think, wow, I get to talk to God face to face almost. I get to call him Father. Do you know how ridiculous that is to call an eternal being who created everything just like that? Father, Abba Father at that. It's ridiculous. You'd never come up with that as an idea. That's ridiculous. You wouldn't call the queen mother or mum, would you? But yet we get to call God in this most intimate way because he has made the way possible for us to know him intimately. So how can we not say hallelujah and amen? How can we not be dynamic in everything we believe? How can we not jump up and down? How can we not share our faith with those who don't have any? How can we be anything other than on fire for Jesus Christ? How can we possibly be lukewarm when the way into the Holy of Holies was only meant for one man once a year is for every person every day how can we not be anything other than absolutely fired up for the king of kings and the lord of lords let me end with one more long bit from hebrews but i love it and i'm going to sit down and then we'll sing our final song this is what the writer nearly ends his book with you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness gloom or storm to a trumpet blast, or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to be sprinkled with blood that speaks a better sacrifice than that of Abel. See to it then that you do not refuse him that speaks If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And this morning, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are allowed into his consuming fire to call him Father. How can we not say hallelujah? How can we not take him seriously? How can we not be as passionate and Christ-like as we ever could be this side of heaven. And so whether you live in Sawbridgeworth or Australia or anywhere else, Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is better than any life any of us may carve out for ourselves. He is the best and we must not go back. There is no going back once you've tasted Christ in all his glory. Let's pray. (laughs) Father God, we just say hallelujah to Hallelujah, Lord, that you are the great God, the great God, and Lord, there is no other. 
And Lord, we say that publicly. There is no way into your kingdom except with faith in your son. We say that, Lord, because it is true. Lord, you came to replace a system that was obsolete. It is obsolete at the cross. And Lord, our world is full of people trying to earn their salvation in one way or another. Father God, it's not about being good that gets you in. It's about being made holy through faith in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Saviour, the all-sufficient Lamb of God. And Lord, may we not compromise, may we not shrink back, may we be on fire for you. And so, Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we can enter your presence, a presence, Lord, that was so limited for so many, for so long, simply through faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection. And I give you thanks for that. Amen.